Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I'm, uh, Batman. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. And we are doing an exploration, a deep dive, if you will, into this iconic character. So get out your bat headphones and turn on your bat podcast as we explore the Batmen. The actors who have played Batman up until Robert Pattinson. Don't worry, there are no bat spoilers ahead. Welcome to Unspooled. I'm Amy Nicholson, and I'm Batman. And I'm Paul Shear. I'm also the Batman. You know what, Amy? In this world, we both could be Batman. I mean, there have been so many Batman in the world of cinema. From 1966 all the way to 2022, the Batman has been really The most iconic role, the young actors of their time come to show off their goods as the caped crusader. And we're going to talk about all of them. Well, eight of them. All of them, we're going to be here until like the sequel to the new Batman movie. But hey, (laughs) eight of them is a lot. Should we go through who we're going to discuss? Yeah. Adam West. Michael Keaton. Val Kilmer. George Clooney. Christian Bale. Ben Affleck. And Will Arnett with a look forward at what Robert Pattinson might bring to the role. (gasps) Paul, what's that in the sky? Oh, it's just Commissioner Gordon telling us to unspool it. So, Paul, we're going to be talking about the Batman past and present. But maybe Batman is maybe not even the right way to think about it, because we're really talking about two people in one body, the Batman and the Bruce Wayne. And I feel like the kind of Batman you like depends on whether you're a person who is I would say a bat forward on the palette or Bruce forward on the palette. Oh, that's Are you really a bat guy or a Bruce guy? See, I see them as the same character. I don't really see the distinction. And I think 
That's why on paper, if you look at all the actors who have played Batman, uh, you can see that they all are cut from a similar mold. They're all uh, attractive. They have an air about them that doesn't take themselves too seriously, with the exception of Ben Affleck, who I believe his Batman is much more based in the Frank Miller version of Batman, and it also fits in the universe of the Zack Snyder Batman, which is very different in the whole world of Batman, even in the Christopher Nolan world, because I think Christopher Nolan keeps that young, youthful Bruce Wayne alive. So I, I am, I'm there for the dichotomy. I like, I like the, uh, the alter ego. I like that they are both roles. Well, I hear that. But what I mean is I think some of these actors are better at being Bruce Wayne and some of them are better at being Batman. I like a Bruce Wayne that seems fun and playful, like the idea of a millionaire playboy to me. I want to see that embodied. So I definitely feel like the more dour Bruce Wayne's are the characters I don't necessarily love. I I still want to have that electricity like, oh, it could never be Bruce Wayne because he's such a, an idiot, an oaf, a or not an oaf, but like a, a, a rich white boy. And so I, I definitely look to that. Like I like an actor who can tackle that kind of charming Batman, not just the brooding Batman. So I, I think, you know, maybe I am a little bit Bruce Wayne forward. I think I am too. I'm glad we're kind of talking about this Right up at the top, because I was thinking, like, what is it about Batman that makes him special? Like, who are I think there's very few roles in franchises that have stretched on for decades that like we as audiences take so seriously. Like, who is the actor going to be? I don't know if it should be that guy. I should be upset. And really, the two major ones I can think of are Batman and James Bond. And I think these characters have an interesting kind of relationship to talk about. Like, you could kind of argue that. You know, James Bond, like suave, martini drinking, you know, secret undercover fighter in a lot of his like in a lot of his films is sort of what Batman would be if he could be the same person all mashed together in a way. You know, like Batman, the difference between like a Batman and a Bruce Wayne is it's like he splits up his Bondness. He's like the two halves of Bond and he's also rich and like self-employed. And, and But I want I want to see like I want to see a distinction. Like if this is a cooking show, I'd want to taste the layers. Well, I think there's something really interesting at the origin of the Batman, right? Because it first premiered in detective comics and that term, detective, right? Batman was a detective. And I think that Batman has become, especially in some of those middle Batman movies, I'm talking about the Joel Schumacher films, where it really is just a circus act. You know, it, like that, the, the, the bad guys are incredibly colorful. The world isn't even familiar. We got nipples on suits. We have people running around in neon. And there is something, I think, more interesting about a person pretending to be this vigilante in a world that is normal, right? And I think that that's what Nolan dips into, and I really like that. I think that Even the first Batman has elements of that. Like the first Batman, Joker is really the lone uh, weird thing. You know, it's not like the, the city is full of crime, but it's not like full of villains. It's not this heightened world. That's true. I mean, what I what I like about the Burton Batman is a lot of times like the his his Batman, his Bruce Wayne, I guess I would say the Michael Keaton Bruce Wayne feels like he reads up a lot on like world politics. He's like a really Mm. knowledgeable Batman. 
And, I, and he seems to live in a grounded world where he can like butter up journalists about what he likes about their career, even as he knows they're making fun of him at the same time. I, I, like, I like a Batman who's part of a world and the world makes sense. But it seems like even Tim Burton then pushes it one step further. Like when Batman comes out with Tim Burton, you know, he's creating this world that I think we associate with Tim Burton, right? This, it's beautifully designed. It's very interesting. Um, but then in the sequel, the world starts to get a lot more Tim Burton-y, right? Like we go way more into uh, into Nightmare Before Christmas than Edward Scissorhands in a way. Like yeah. we, we are like really shifting. Like a world that shifting. can spawn the penguin has to be crazier. Yeah. And it's weird because he's not taking over the franchise. Like I see like in Harry Potter, different directors come in. They want to add something different to it. But here... The same director is like, I'm tired of what I did here. I'm going to push it even further. But he pushes the, I think he pushes the world a little bit further. And I think that's why people react negatively to Batman Returns. It was like, no, 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 we liked what you were doing. But he made it even more weird. It's true. It is like the second lowest grossing Batman movie of all time. But I guess part of that depends on like, what do you want from a Batman? You know, because we have so many different types of them. Like, do you want... The kind of Batman who's going to come in and the world is a little bit crazy, but he can set it right. Do you know, do you want like a, a superhero Batman who offers reassurance? Do you want like a Batman who's exploring dark corners of the soul on like a grand scale? Do you want like a comic book Batman who's just like cuckoo and over the top and all the anth- the angles are kind of canted? Or do you want a Batman who's sort of like... I mean, I hate to bring it back to Bond again, but like a kooky James Bond. He's got some kooky gadgets. He does some quirky stuff. Like, I feel like, I feel like you could almost map, you know, the American zeitgeist on the Batman that we're drawn to at that moment. You know, what kind of bat is most popular? Well, obviously, I think the Batman that I grew up with or was most familiar with was the Adam West version. You talked about that. That is the big, campy, cartoony version. If you were going to do superheroes, you had to make it big, bright, and colorful. And that entire show, you know, has elements of laughing. It's done in the 60s. You know, Cesar Romero not taking off his mustache, but just painting over it, (laughs) uh, which is so wonderfully bizarre as a choice. You have these great performances by like Julie Newmar and Eartha Kitt, a great grouping of actors really around Batman playing these villains, you know, in the TV show and in the film um, that I think really connect you and that that world is completely different. That world yeah. is is a grounded world where people are running around with giant, you know, uh, drums where they can, you know, put people in or, you know, bombs with, you know, a big like TNT written on it, like a very comical big world. But I do think there was something really interesting there because those characters still seem to exist in a world that functioned. It was light. And I think that's something we haven't seen in Batman for a long time, just a a functional world. Like he's a he's a an extra hand to the cops. Yeah, I mean, my favorite facial hair thing in Batman is really just how his costume has those goofy blue eyebrows drawn onto it. I mean, this this is like the lightest Batman. This is like a Batman who's piped into homes for kids. He's like the clearest, I would say, like role model Batman. I mean, when this Batman goes to a bar, he orders an orange juice. Your orange juice, sir. Batman special. And I mean, this is a Batman who, of course, like has a dance, you know, like 
the Batusi. I mean, this is a Batman who like, not only does he have his own dance, that Adam West was like, you know what? I, I'm enjoying this Batman thing. I'm just going to make my own pop song. It's called Miranda. And I'm going to sing it in character as Batman. And like, why? Whoa. Because I can. Have you heard this? Oh, let me no. play some. It's so cool. Will tonight be the night that Bruce reveals himself to the magnificent Miranda? I never met a girl like you before, Miranda. Miranda. And I'd do anything for you if you just ask. Miranda. Ask me to do anything for you, Miranda. I can't believe I've never heard that. And I am a, I am an old school Batman fan. I did not know this. <laughs> I mean, look, there's a lot going on there. I don't think um, any sort of connection to the comic books really is happening. Like that to me feels like uh, a Sid and Marty Croft world that they created around this. They took the properties, they took the characters, they made them big, they made them silly, they made them kid-friendly. You know, very much like Hulk Hogan telling kids to, you know, eat your vitamins, like he's drinking an orange juice. Like he is, there is no problem, even to the point where I don't even know why he's Batman. That's become such a big thing. Like, he saw his parents murdered and that's why he became the Batman. It just seemed like, oh, he's rich and he wanted to have a cool car and run around. Like, there's no uh, angst, gravitas. There's no, there's no there there. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but there's, there's no reason for being. <laughs> no, you're right. And in fact, actually talking about it in this way as like a guy who's supposed to promote orange juice, it makes even more sense that why he was hired is that they saw Adam West play kind of like a James Bond character in a commercial for Nestle Quick. And they're like, oh, this guy can be sort of like goofy, devilish, and also sell kids on drinking the right beverages for them. Ah, oh, Captain Q, join me in a glass of delicious chocolate quick, won't you? Thank you, Doctor. I could use some energy. Incidentally, one of those torpedoes you fired at me was circling and... Some people will do anything to get rich quick. To loop. I mean, yeah, like Adam West himself, like he said that his approach to the character was that he just thought he was like half Sherlock Holmes, half Count Dracula. <laughs> I I love that. And you can tell that in the way that he plays that role, and no offense to Adam West, every role, uh, because it all seems the same. <laughs> From Lady Chatterley's lover to Batman, it is about the same level of performance. But I will say, what's interesting is, I think that the popularity of that show sets a tone. Richard Donner then comes in for Superman and and creates something that lives in a real world, but there's an uh, an organic moment to it, but it's still light. You believe in this character, but it's not a dark thing. And and before uh, Tim Burton takes over Batman, we're not used to any dark superheroes. Like that is not what we are in store for. I mean, and I think that Superman being so successful and the sequels with varying degrees of quality, really just the first two are great, which is the same movie essentially, but uh they, you know, we are not used to anything different than light, airy. Superheroes are children's stuff, so they should have, uh, they shouldn't have that much weight. 
Yeah. I mean, that's true. Like even when we remember when we were talking um, in our episode about Ivan Reitman, about his version of Batman that he was kicking around that was going to still star Bill Murray. Like the person he hired to write that script was Tom Mankiewicz, who was one of the people who actually wrote the 78 Superman. And that whole script is like super bizarre. You know, like people have read it and it's like about how the Bill Murray Batman was going to try to make himself the perfect man and get all buff because he wanted to make his parents proud. And he was killing people in it with like giant rubber bands and giant thumbtacks. And their model was that he was going to be, I mean, to circle it back again, like a little bit Superman and a little bit James Bond, but like a goofy James Bond, which I also have to say, did you know that when Adam West finished being Batman, they actually asked him if he wanted to be James Bond and he turned it down because he thought James Bond should be British? Wait a second. So Sean Connery was a second choice. Thank God they did that because, oh, my God, I I mean, we have to get into James Bond at one point, too. But we really do. I do believe that uh, Richard Donner, who I think is an amazing director, uh, did something that I thought was really cool with Superman, which was he made it adult. And I know we're not talking about Superman, but I do think we have to look at that little bit of transition, like because he made a movie that was incredibly popular, that was based on a kid thing, but it wasn't fully just for kids. It's a good movie. Um, And I think that what he brought to it was this idea of like truthfulness, like what is our world? Let's be true to our world. And and look, you could argue that Superman is one of the hardest characters to do because he just wants to stand for what's right. He has all powerful. I think many people have had trouble cracking him. But what made that Superman so interesting, I think, was Christopher Reeve's Clark Kent, that alter ego. So I think people really start to lean into, your point, the alter ego. What is the dichotomy of these people? What is the Jekyll and Hyde nature? Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And so that brings us to our first foray into a giant, dark superhero blockbuster. And I'll say mainstream because I'm sure there are other examples. But this is 1989. Tim Burton comes in and decides he's going to take a crack at the bat. Yeah. And honestly, up until this point, like bat fans are really nervous because they want the dark bat. They feel like the dark bat that they've come to know in the comics hasn't been like represented. And so when Tim Burton is like, I'm going to have Michael Keaton in this movie. People lose their minds. Like this was a huge protest. There are like 50,000 protest letters sent about Michael Keaton being cast. I mean, people were getting really specific. They were like, you know, if you saw this guy in an alley wearing a bat suit, you would laugh. You wouldn't run in fear. They're like, Batman should be 6'2", 235 pounds. And they were like, 
I guess that's how I sound when I talk about Jack Reacher, but that's how they sound. And because I like the Michael Keaton Batman, I'm like, those people are crazy. But this is exactly what, you know, John Peters, who was producing it, wanted. He was like, the image people have of Batman is this big male model type. But I want a person who's a real person who happens to put on this weird armor, which to me is kind of a tip that this production from the beginning was thinking like, we're thinking Bruce Wayne first. You know, who is the kind of guy who would make himself this weirdo? Well, and I think if you looked at Michael Keaton's career, throughout everything that he did up until 1989, there is an energy to him where he feels like he could break. We talked about The Shining recently and like this idea of like somebody on the edge. And I think Michael Keaton has that same kind of energy. It's like that jumpy kind of energy. And, um, you know, and I think it worked really great on movies like Night Shift and Mr. Mom. But that energy you would buy a guy like him will come up with an idea this crazy. And I think that's Tim Burton connecting. You have to be a little bit crazy to dress up like a costumed bat and run around and fight crime because it's not like you just put on a ski mask. It's not like there's, there's so many layers to the insanity, right? What you're doing, what you're trying to do, what you, how you're trying to intimidate people that it feels like you need somebody who feels slightly off. And, and I, and I think that Michael Keaton captures that manic energy. He can charm you, but you don't know if he's going to have a total freak out. Yeah, you feel like he's slightly cracked. And what I think is really funny about the Burton Batman, especially the first one, is how much of an emphasis Burton puts on the fact that Bruce Wayne is really, really rich. Because like, yes, we know in the later ones, he's rich, he's got these estates, blah, 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 he can buy anything he wants. But Burton, I feel like, is the director who most drills down into the idea that like, this guy being so rich makes him kind of a figure of mockery to some of the people around him. Like he has that scene when like early on when Bruce Wayne throws that giant party and Vicky Vale and her coworker show up and they're just like trashing him. Who is this guy? What's he doing with his money? Oh, wait, 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 wait. Living room? Tiny room? Arsenal. Look at this stuff. Who is this guy? He gives to all these humanitarian causes and then collects all this stuff. <laughs> uh, he probably doesn't get chicks. They like him for his big charity balls. Yeah, and don't leave out his very large bankroll. Now remember, the more they've got, the less they're worth. And this guy must be the most worthless guy in America. Check this out. He must have been king of the wicker people. <laughs> oh, oh, where'd this come from? I have no idea. <laughs> It's Japanese. How do you know? Because I bought it in Japan. Who are you? Oh, sorry, Bruce Wayne. Alexander Knox. Hi. Oh, I read your work. I like it. I like it a lot. Oh, thanks. Can I have a grant? <laughs> Vicky Vale. Hi. Bruce Wayne. Are you sure? And what I love about that scene is like, yeah, not only does it, you know, kind of end with. Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne proving himself to be a man who reads the newspaper very much and is quite educated with world events. But even after he leaves, they're still clowning on him for being rich. Nice talking with you, Wayne. I'm rich. You know why they're so odd? Because they can afford to be. I mean, look at this mirror. Maybe it should be Bruce Wayne. <laughs> We have been through so many cycles of how we feel about rich people in this country. 
you know, like, do you know, it was only, I feel like 15 years ago that the New York Times was publishing articles about how like people in Manhattan were buying like $1,000 cheeseburgers because they had like a gold plated toothpick. Like this was a perfectly normal thing to do. And now if you read that article, everybody would be like, murder that person with all of those gold, those golden toothpicks. I remember when I was living in New York, they had a thousand dollar omelet because it had oh gold shavings on it. And that was the whole thing. You went to have this, you know, thousand dollar omelet. Um, and you look, you'll see the same thing with truffles and things like that. But I do think in this moment, he is not only grounding the character, right? Like this character is mocked, but he's using it as like, that's the cover, right? So the more he plays into it, the more he gets the scent off of him, right? So I love that idea. And it, again, it's a, it's a city where there's crime, he cares, and he's got this kind of crazy idea. And I want to just pull back to what you said, you know, just to put it in context, Michael Keaton, yes, comedic actor for sure. Um, you know, but up until this point, like he'd also done uh, Clean and Sober, which mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, a movie about, you know, a recovering uh, an alcoholic who then is recovering. And then right after this, he does, um, you know, uh, Pacific Heights. Like, so he's going in and out, I mean, which I think Pacific Heights is Great. But I mean, this is post Batman, but um, but even Beetlejuice. And I go back to what I was saying about Michael Keaton, that that energy of Beetlejuice, that's a comedic performance, but it's also not just like zany. It's not just um, big, crazy character. There is like some there there. I think that that's what Michael Keaton has. It's a comedic guy who could stab you. It's like comedic guy that you're like, oh, he's laughing as he might you know, rip my head off. Like and, there's and, a menace to him. And we'll talk about this in a little bit, but conversely to somebody like Jim Carrey's The Riddler, like if you put Jim Carrey in that role at that point, you'd be like, oh, I don't know if he's capable of doing this. Where Michael Keaton, I think, had played with variations on the theme. And he comes in and I think does this role really well. I think it 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 captures the imagination. I remember as a kid, Everyone was confused about the logo because the logo looked like teeth. Do you remember this? Do you remember this controversy? <laughs> the gold Batman logo. It was like this. It was like the um, the chest plate or the belt plate. And it and it was the, if you looked at it one way, it's like one of those pictures that you'd look at. It's like, oh, it's Abraham Lincoln. Oh, it's a naked lady. Like one of those. Uh, but mm-hmm. it was like, if you looked at it the wrong way, it just looked like weird teeth. And it was, everyone made fun of it and no one knew what to expect of it. And then it comes in, and I think just the shock of these scenes. This, I think about that scene with him and Vicky Vale at the at the big table. They're so far apart, you know. Like, yeah. There, and there what are I love some about weighted, that scene yeah. is it feels like it's a nod to Citizen Kane. You know, yes. another movie about a rich guy whose richness makes him go crazy. Yeah, and I think that that like, I think that that movie people often go like, oh, Tim Burton, he's so crazy, everything's so heightened, everything's so weird. That movie, yes. There are some things. The Joker's parade. Uh, but that scene where the Joker rips off his bandages to see his face, mm-hmm. like that is played deadly serious. Yes, he falls into a vat of, you know, acid, but like, you, I'm a number one guy. You know, like th- those, like those, like the Jack Palance of it all, like there, it is less Tim Burton than you remember. I think. The sequel, you can maybe argue, is more Tim Burton than the second one. But that first one is, yes. But that first, I mean, and look, in the second one, I think that Michelle Pfeiffer is amazing. I think that Danny DeVito. I love the second one. This is not a diss on the second one. I might prefer the second one to the first one. Maybe I go back and forth on it. I love a couple elements to it. I just think Michelle Pfeiffer is so good. 
Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is amazing in it. And I just think that like sometimes Tim Burton stuff gets like pushed off to the side because of who he is. Just it's Tim Burton. It's like it's it's this other thing. But he's I, doing I, his thing. Yeah. yeah. It's the Tim but, Burton thing. Like he just sort of puts like a Instagram filter on everything and it's like a Tim Burton movie. But I do think that what happens here with Michael Keaton in these first two movies is he sets a tone that no one can quite duplicate. The person that no one wanted kind of rides the line of being the Bruce Wayne that you want to hang out with, that you could see being a figurehead that people actually like, um, you know, and scary, intimidating Batman. And But then to your question, it's like this alchemy of who's got the right amount of pathos, humor, charm. It's becomes this thing. And Michael Keaton so popular that he's back he's back as batman instagram he just posted it again i think he's in like in two more dc movies now and i'm thrilled that we're getting him back but i do believe that he set down he like threw down the gauntlet that we've been chasing because i think in many ways he is our perfect batman i mean i think so too you know, like he's been hard to shake and I'm trying to make sure that I don't just see it through the nostalgia of him being like the first Batman I ever really loved. But I mean, he is a guy who said that the secret to his Batman was that he never thought of his Batman as Batman, that he always thought of him as Bruce Wayne, that it's Bruce Wayne putting on a costume, Bruce Wayne putting on a show, Bruce Wayne using the bat yes. to intimidate people, that he just was grounded in Bruce first. And I think that shines through because I think as we're talking about it, what I want in a hero, what I want specifically in Batman is that I want a guy who's immortal doing crazy stuff, especially right now, because we have enough movies with immortals who can't die no matter what. They got bitten by something. They had radioactive this. They're just born on some planet and nothing can hurt them really. But what should make Batman special and Iron Man to another extent is that they are mortal underneath it. You know, and I want I want to relate to that. Like well, to me, wait, that, I, I wanna, find that more interesting. I want to pull this back because I, I believe the reason why we have an MCU is because Kevin Feige found his Michael Keaton in Iron Man because Robert Downey Jr. also brings exactly that same thing, which is he is always uh, Tony Stark. He is never Iron Man. Iron Man is nothing. Iron Man is a suit. Um, Tony Stark is the character and he's charming and he's suave and he's got problems, but he also is smart. Like, I believe, I truly do believe that the reason why the MCU cracked open is because they found their next right performer. And to your point, there is no Batman. It's not a psychotic break. It's not Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It is Bruce Wayne poorly dealing with a problem right mm-hmm. like it's it, like i mean like it that's what's going on it, it, it um you're right and i think maybe that's also another dimension of why i like the keaton batman is you get to see that his bruce wayne life is pretty fun it can be lonely but yeah. it's not that bad well, it's like he's only not, like, lonely it it, I think by it choice makes it, yeah exactly but i think it makes it more of a sacrifice that he goes out there at night when his life could be a bunch of parties like It's a believably pleasant time being Bruce Wayne, not so much for some of the Batman that we're going to get into. You're right. And I also think that this Batman sets another trend, which is the origin story. Tim Burton really beautifully just touches on 
what would possess someone to do this? We don't find out how he trained. When we get into the film, it's not the first time he's getting into the costume. The Batcave is built. Like, there is, in a, in a great way, you see the inciting incident. We don't know what happens in between. And we're, we're midway through the story. And I think a lot of movies uh, have started to learn that we don't always need that origin we story. We don't need the whole we thing. We don't need the whole thing. Just give us... Because, again, it's not about how they did it. It's why they are doing it. And, and That's rega- a really yeah. good way of saying it. That's you a really know? good way of saying it. Because you're right. I think he gets that right in all of them. I think he gets the why of the Penguin. I think he gets the why of Catwoman. And Nathan gets the why of the Joker. And so now Tim Burton leaves... You know, he he gets out of the picture and we'll break down these movies more at one point. But we're just kind of talking about like the general sense when Burton leaves. How would you describe? Well, there's, the, a, there's a lot yeah. of kerfuffle going on. Like McDonald's is mad that Batman Returns was too kinky. They're like, mm-hmm. I can't believe you made us put like all this Batman stuff on little kids cups when like then you had all this pleather. And it's a little bit too erotic what you did with the new Batman Returns. It tanks and it is it does set up like. Somebody else has to take in charge of this franchise, and it's Joel Schumacher. And Keaton doesn't want to work with Joel Schumacher, so then they have to cast a new Batman. Well, yeah, I think that Keaton stands strong with, uh, you know, with Tim Burton. And now, I think we'll come across this in every actor we discuss. On paper, all great choices. All great choices. Like, they fit the mold. Um, I think Val Kilmer also has comedy chops, has drama chops. But if you've seen Top Secret, this guy knows how to deliver a joke. He knows how to be charming. He knows how to be rogue, you know, from Top Gun. Like, you, you see you see all of that. But I don't think that you actually see the best version of Val Kilmer as Batman. And I'm going to just even maybe even pair these two together. Nor do we see the best version of George Clooney as Batman because of the script and the world that they are in. Like, they are doing the best they can with the material in front of them. Unless you disagree. I mean, what do you, what do you think? Well, I want to give Val a shot because Bob Kane said at that point, he thought Kilmer was the best Batman. He thought he was better than Adam West and he thought he was better than Keaton. Like, so he's seeing something in this Batman. I mean, of course, like when Val Kilmer gets cast, people are mad that he's blonde because like everybody gets mad when like a blonde man is cast as certain heroes, like Daniel Craig and blonde. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people just weren't sure really what to make of this giant tonal change. You know, like Schumacher makes it a lot more cartoony, but Val is not a cartoony guy. So I don't feel like he's in the wavelength of this movie. It seems like it was really tense behind the scenes. Like the drama that you hear is that like Tommy Lee Jones was mad all the time because he thought Jim Carrey was stealing scenes and that Tommy Lee Jones was not that nice about it. Schumacher called Val psychotic. Like he's called him psychotic in the press, even like recently. Even though he also said that he thought he made a good Batman, he thought he was better than Keaton and Clooney as well. But it's a weird, it's a weird position to be, I think, if you're Val Kilmer when you make this movie, because he's a guy who thought he should either be like a wacky character actor or a guy playing Hamlet on stage. But I don't think Val Kilmer thought of himself as like, I should be a superhero. I, I, part of why I think he took the job is like the day he got the call, he was on a vacation in Africa and he was in a bat cave, like exploring a bat cave. And then he gets out of the bat cave and he gets a call like, do you want to be Batman? And Val Kilmer is kind of like a guy who believes in like coincidences. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I can't help but think that opened his heart to it. And also maybe, I mean, you can't turn down being a star, but I don't think he ever felt like it was right for him. Here's what I think about Val Kilmer and this is the way I'll describe the next, again, I'm lumping the two of them together. I believe that Val Kilmer is a great 
chicken soup that has way too much other shit in it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like that movie, they threw everything in there, right? So you're launching, you're treating it as a sequel. You know, you have recurring characters like Commissioner Gordon, um, but you're getting rid of some other ones. Like we set up Harvey Dent with Billy D. Williams and the Tim Burton Batman, but now it's Tommy Lee Jones. So we're we're kind of carrying over some characters. We're not carrying over others. And then we're loading in. So it's not just, you know, two villains. It's three villains. And it's not just three villains. It's also Robin. So now, like, where? how do we even get to understand the Batman? Because you can do that potentially if it's the same actor. We're connected to him. We know this actor or actress. But now we are just loading it up. And it, it just feels like, well, this this great chicken soup is now just, I don't even taste the chicken anymore. I taste so many other things. It just becomes like this mishmash, this, this, this nothing. Yeah. And, and, I, and I feel like they're even loading it on Val Kilmer himself because like he plays a more complicated Batman than Keaton too. Like they're kind of making him carry around some regret about the bat life. You know, he's trying to yeah. talk Robin out of it. He's like, don't follow my path. And then his big dramatic moment at the end is like, he finally, I think, reconciles what he's been wrestling with the whole movie by saying, like, you know what? I am Bruce Wayne. I am Batman. But he feels, up until that point, I think, really conflicted, which makes it harder to root for him. However, I do think he pulls that moment off pretty well. You see, I'm both Bruce Wayne and Batman. Not because I have to be. Now, because I choose to be. Listening to him do that, like... Yes, I like this era of Val Kilmer. I also am going to believe, just based on everything that I know, based on the doc and what I've done in research on Val Kilmer on another project, that he's probably bringing a lot of himself into this role. Like, he's adding stuff. He Like, these little flourishes that we're seeing or these wants, that doesn't seem like a Joel Schumacher thing. That seems like a Val Kilmer, like, I need to have a moment like this. I need to say this thing. Because it does almost feel uncharacteristic to the rest of the film. And how does he get rewarded? He doesn't get to do any more. Uh, nope. But I will say a couple of nice things about him on addition to that. Like, I think his Batman, to me, if you were like, which Batman would you want in charge of the company? I would probably say Val Kilmer's Batman. He seems like the best businessman of them, you know, taking meetings, kind of seeking out what he thinks he should be doing with his company. But I think he also had kind of like his pride injured during the filming of it. Because he talks about, you know, shooting one day and they get a call like, oh, this really rich guy, like Warren Buffett or somebody is coming to set. And he wanted to take off his costume because his costume is like really uncomfortable. Like you can hear him talk about how uncomfortable the costume is like right here on Jay Leno. I, I put a thermometer in the bat belt one day just to see it was 140. 140 in the suit? Yeah. So what do you wear under that suit? Do you wear Vaseline? Just Vaseline. <laughs> <laughs> really? You put Vaseline? <laughs> so, yeah. we have, so we have something in common. I'm wearing Vaseline right now. But he's like, okay, I'll stay in this hot suit so that I can like entertain this like rich guy's kids. And then when the kids show up, they like ignore him. They just want to go hang out in the Batmobile. And Val Kilmer said to himself, he's like, you know, I realized Batman isn't about Batman. You know, like Batman is supposed to be anonymous. There is, again, there is no Batman. And Batman is supposed to kind of disappear into the shadows. And I think he... I think, be and I think because of that, he doesn't let his Batman pop as much because he he feels like Batman himself should be shadowy. Well, and I think you're right. Batman isn't supposed to be a personality. Like Superman will pose with the kids and smile and give the dog and get the, you know, like Superman is a man of the people. Batman is tr truly not to be seen. I think we see that as the films progress, like this idea that 
he is in the shadows. Um, but it seems like people don't want that. They want to go more in the in the Adam West direction. I, I really do believe it. when George Clooney comes in, another great choice. And I know that you say that Val Kilmer and everyone loves Val Kilmer. There's something about Val Kilmer to me that's a little too pretty boy. Like, I like that, uh, you know, in many respects, like, Michael Keaton is a very attractive man, but he's not like a hunk. Like, the idea of like a hunk being, you know, like, sure, I think that's an interesting dichotomy. Like, oh, he's a hunk, but he's also this ferocious guy. I like the idea that it's a, like, you know, Eric Trump as Batman. You know, like, some, like, you know, like, that you're not like, fully expecting it like you know it's not a person who lived the perfect life like val kilmer like yes he has tragedy but he's also like a good looking like i like when he's like sweaty scarf around his neck you're just like all right all right all right right, there's a gym membership i mean i think that's the tragedy i think that's the tragedy of like val kilmer and also this stage alec baldwin where they were too hunky to be as weird as they wanted to be like i think if if they could have had all the parts that like nicholas cage was getting offered Velcro would be super happy, right? He wants to well, be like the weirdo dramatic guy. Yeah, and I think that he's sometimes self-sabotage, but that's a, well, another yeah, conversation. Other but but thing. I will say George Clooney coming in feels to me like the Michael Keaton version of Bruce Wayne, right? There's there's some similarities there, right? Um but in a weird way I think George Clooney is too in control. Like he doesn't feel like he's got much going on. It really, like yeah. I, I think that that, like I like him from a on paper standpoint. And again, he's got everything thrown at him from nipples to a cavalcade of characters to neon fighters. I mean, that is just, uh, you know, uh, just a smorgasbord of shit, you know, that he's like fighting through. But he doesn't seem to have any um nothing like it like he is he yeah, is Bruce Wayne and he figure. is Batman as the yeah. same yeah he is yeah. and it means so much so that he's pulling out a bat credit card so I can't say like oh George Clooney's bad like he fucking has a bat credit card like what are you supposed to do like they're like they've they've really like erased like he's going to events like he's you know it's it's so oh it's so, like I don't know how you could have done it better but there's no like he almost plays his Batman like Alfred Like, he's too level-headed. Like, the way that George Clooney apologizes to the world for being this Batman, the way that he has said, like, I have met Adam West and I apologize to him. I said, sorry about the nipples on the suit. It almost feels like him being a stand-up guy and, like, putting his bat cape on a puddle so everybody else who who worked on the movie can kind of, like, escape cleaner. I mean, because Chris O'Donnell, you know, his view of it from being there on set as Robin, he was like, Everything was different from the last Batman, you know, and the Batman forever. I felt like I was making a movie on uh, Batman and Robin. I felt like I was making a a kid's toy commercial. And so in a way, it kind of cycles back to Adam West in that way. Like you're here to like make kids happy and sell toys, but that's not George Clooney. And I find his line delivery, I think, really unconvincing in this. Like he doesn't know how to, A, he doesn't have, I think, like the movie star presence he's about to get. You know, he's like a little unsure of himself, I would say, in the suit. But B, he just, I don't find any any conviction in his voice. I don't disagree with you, but I still feel like, how do you, how do you get it? Like, when you are just, you're basically screaming in a vacuum for, like, there's, like, 
Because I'll say that One Fine Day is a great rom-com. I like that. You know, the Peacemaker is like, he's got the goods. It just is. He can does. We get him, can we get him on? Like, well, he was set up to fail. If, yeah, he's got the goods if he can be a human being, but he's putting on something bigger than himself. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he knew how to fill it yet. And I will also say that, you know, as much as we talk about the latex and the kink of Batman Returns, this is where Joel Schumacher, while he is making a kid's mm-hmm. commercial, starts to kind of also do his own version of this. Like this, you know, uh, queer fantasy. And and I don't say that in a derogatory way. It's just like, he just fucking embraces it too. He's like, oh, I got two of me. I got two of them in me. Let's do this now. Like, it is the nipples. And it <laughs> is, like, there is more innuendo. And there is this... Um, I mean, there's something that is so ravey about that movie, which I don't think is bad, but it's sort of like, it almost seems like the director is like, eh, I don't care. I'll do this. You know, like, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Clooney put the nipples on the suit himself, but also I kind of want to live in a world where directors free to have crazy nipples and everybody doesn't lose their mind. Well, here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. And maybe this goes to your point. I don't think that George Clooney has the wherewithal to say this is dumb. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it this way. And where yeah. Val Kilmer, I think, maybe has a little bit more power there and fights back and gets those moments in, I think George Clooney plays ball. Like He hadn't broken out, yeah. and I think he was like, let me just break out. And I don't think he had that swagger. Because when you look at George Clooney now... Um, I think you would he wouldn't make these same mistakes. I think he learned here, or that's at least what I'm getting. Like he's doing yeah. he's doing a serviceable job, but he's not injecting himself, nor and I think because of that, the character suffering because it's also not written well. No. I mean I would love to know if this is why Clooney becomes, I think, a young actor who's like determined to have a hand in his own career and like be a director and be a producer. I mean, Clooney has, we'll give him this, the most Oscar noms out of anybody who's played Batman. He's got eight noms and he's got two Oscar wins. A lot of it for producing and directing, not acting. And and maybe that's a bit of him like learning to take ownership. I will also say this to his credit, uh, Vulture did a piece once where they went to a Beverly Hills plastic surgeon and they were like, listen, here's the thing with Batman. You mostly see the guy's chin. So can you tell us who has the best chin? Like, as the guy who does people's chins, who do your patients come in looking for? Who do they admire? Who's your favorite chin out of all the Batman? He said Clooney. Clooney, he said, is one of the most ideal chins. He called it perfection. And he said it's his most requested male chin. After him, he goes Bale. Then Adam West, who gets requests, he says Pattinson has a great chin, but it's too distinctive. He says nobody likes Ben Affleck's cleft, and he has nothing really nice to say about Kilmer or Keaton. Well, there you go. I mean, wow. Harsh. It's it's so bad that um, it actually hurts to watch. It's physically like you'll be flipping the channels and just it'll just pop up. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) Do you ever go? Do you ever go? Oh, I could have done it differently. I could have done this, this, this and this. Do you ever or do do you just let go of it? I couldn't have done that one differently. You know, it's a big machine, that thing, right? I got, you got to remember at that point, I was just an actor getting an acting job. I wasn't the guy that could green light a movie. Right. Um, you, know, they, you know, they paid Arnold $25 million to be in it. They paid me like one and we never even worked together. We never even saw each other. Um, it was, you know, it's, it's a big monster machine. And I, you know, and I just sort of jumped in and did what they said. I will say, too, I do believe that this is now his bit, right? Because George Clooney has also had failures after this. We love George Clooney. But it's like 
since 1997, he's been apologizing for this movie where I would argue most people don't even know, recognize, care. It's not like he brought down the franchise, but I think it's his way of always humbling himself, right? Like he's like, I know, I know. Because he's not saying like, oh, I know I was on Facts of Life. It's not like like his work on Sisters or, or you know, like Facts of Life isn't like, you know, it's like, you know, Roseanne. It's not like, oh, well, you, you know, it's like, but I think he knows like that's how he can make himself a punchline. And in, and in many respects, I think him landing on that mine has made his performance worse. Like, it, like <laughs> he is, he has made us all convinced he is the word like there's no argument because he's saying it's me it's me that's what I own and you can never have a discussion about it really honestly because I don't think he's the worst I just think that he's I think he's fine but he is owning that for whatever reason he's doing that God knows but well you know what then I'll give him this point I give him the generosity of a billionaire philanthropist for doing that Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We talked about this giant transition between Adam West and Michael Keaton, this, you know, big shift. And I think we are in store for the next big shift, which is Nolan taking over, right? Because Batman now is a franchise that has gone from interesting and cool to oversaturated and childlike, and now a really prestige director comes in and is going to do this film. And I remember people being excited. Am I right or wrong about that? No, people were stoked. People were stoked. I mean, there has always been this like burgeoning love for Bale. I I feel like girls claimed Bale before men did because of things Mm. like Newsies. So we were on Team Bale very early. I feel like Oscar Isaac also had that too. I feel like the ladies got ahead of Oscar Isaac before everybody else did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens. We're very good. We're the tastemakers. Then I think American Psycho really shows what he can do. And so this is kind of like building towards the bottom. We are ready to see a Christian Bale Batman. Well, and I mean, but- we can say this about him, like right up at the top. He's the one who's gotten to be the most Batman. He's gotten to do like three full Batman pictures starring himself, you know, kind of mapped out, well, yeah. designed. Like he has had... The most screen time, I would say. Of any oh, of no. Batman. Adam West, for sure, has had more screen time as well, Batman. Well, okay. On screen. On screen, screen, yes, screen, on, screen. Yes, on cinema screen, you're right. I will say this, though. It also is a perfect merging of director and actor, right? Because it makes sense. Tim Burton, Michael Keaton doesn't make sense on paper, 
You know, like I feel like that's where people were probably like, oh, I don't know if I like this. But this feels like the right director and the right Batman for that director. Tonally, background wise, that's why I think people are not rejecting him in any way. True. But it's to me, this is like the most zeitgeisty Batman. You know, like this is like the emo Batman because there was definitely something in like our cultural vibe. You know, 2005, we're like into the war on terror now. Like stuff is dark. And I think like the American psyche is looking at a hero and kind of thinking like, what is a hero? How do you know when you're doing the right thing? Are we doing the right thing? Are we fighting the right war? What's happening? And there's like this trauma to the Bale Batman that I think is like really heavy. Like how was Batman formed? What is going on? Where does a person like direct their anger? You know, this is a Batman that I think isn't about like healing wounds or trying to get better or reconcile himself in the way that even the Val Kilmer Batman was. This is a Batman who's just like, I'm angry and here's how I feel and here's how the world is going to handle it. And Again, I think it matches up really well with where the Bond franchise was. You have Batman Begins in 05, the dark, gritty, gritty Batman. You have Casino Royale in L6, rebooting this dark, gritty, gritty Bond. I find this bail hard to watch right now just because of my mood. I kind of don't want to go back to that place, if I can be fully honest. No, I definitely, I get that. I also think, you know, let's just talk about the time that has passed between uh, the last Batman and this Batman, as far as culturally, like I know you're saying like we're in this darker time, but we're also in a time where superheroes are a lot more accepted in culture and in film. You know, we have the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans. We've had the Blade movies, Hellboy. Uh, you know, we're getting to the point where they are successful. People like them. People have tried certain things with them. But this one again, is going to break the mold. It's going to go in a different uh, direction. Oh, yeah. Actually, I think I get exactly what you're saying. I think like up until this point, it was sort of jokey a little bit to be a Batman. You knew you were putting on tights. That's kind of how people talked about it. Like, oh, you're putting on the tights. Okay, here you go. Being a Batman. And like the actors, even Adam West had to kind of reconcile Am I ready to be a guy who wears a bat costume and runs around with a goofy car? And I think when you get to the Bale Batman, it's actually not funny. It's like, yeah, of course I'm going to be a Batman. Of course. Why wouldn't I be a Batman? Like there's not a, there's no longer kind of an apology built into being Batman the way that like definitely there was when Clooney is Batman. Well, I also think that that I want to tip my hat to M. Night because maybe it's not received as well as it has become received, but Unbreakable, I think is setting a little bit of the the tonal shift here too, right? That serious, like Unbreakable is a really interesting film where Bruce Willis realizes he has these superpowers and he kind of comes in, he's just a regular man, uh, but he's, you know, I don't know. There's an element there that I think I just look at going, oh, I think this is an interesting version of, again, real world Spider-Man, you know, it's heightened. It's a little bit nicer. It's a little bit brighter. You got Doc Ock, but I, I do think Unbreakable is we start to adopt this world more and more. And I think that probably doesn't get its credit for as much as it did in the superhero space. Cause I don't think people assume it is a superhero movie or think of it as like one of the superhero movies. No. And I think actually even the, this Batman trilogy like exists over a change in superhero movies that changes from like Oh five to, to 12, you mm-hmm. know, cause like you can make a Batman movie in Oh five and it's a Batman movie kind of considered not on the margins of where cinema is, but like, like, you know, a supporting player to cinema. And by by 08, I think like we're starting to see that geeks are like at the center of culture 
in Hollywood yeah. believing that they are. And by 012, geekdom is the only culture. Well, so it I mean, goes, it becomes more and more centralized. And I think these films both play a part in that, but also benefit from that. You know, Christopher Nolan treats it like a crime saga, truly. Yeah, it's kind of like his Batfather, his Batfather trilogy or something like that. I don't know. It's it's hard. Like, I don't just even starting to talk about the Christian Bale Batman movies, I feel like a funk and a cloud come on to me because these movies just seem so dark. There's something about the Christian Bale Batman where because it is so trauma focused that I don't feel like his Batman has a good handle on being Batman or Bruce Wayne. I feel like he's his Bruce Wayne has kind of been lost and sublimated into the Batman. Like there isn't there, really, he can't really come back to life that he doesn't surface very much. I feel like he's, I, he's lost in the drama. Well, look, we've talked about this at length with Christopher Nolan. Uh, so I don't want to retread territory, but I will say that, I don't think that Christopher Nolan has a lot of fun in his films. And this Batman or this, let's say Bruce Wayne, because that's who they all are playing. They're all playing Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne is toxic playboy, right? Crash your car, drunk driving. There's no love in it. Because even like when he's acting out as being the playboy, it's just an act. Where you yeah. feel like Michael Keaton wants to connect with Vicky Vale. You feel like some of these other Batmans want to have relationships. Yeah. This Batman is cold. He is dark. He is focused. And probably the most mentally unwell. You know, like he's yeah. like, he's not ba- he's not balanced. And I would say like the way we talked just about George Clooney being like one version, he also is one version. It's a voice. I mean, yes, everyone makes fun of the voice. You know, but it's like There's no, like, we don't get to really see wildly different sides. We see, like, a real asshole who's, like, sleeping in his meetings that we don't like. We're not connected to him. He seems like a slouch. He seems like he's living off the land. Yeah, his Uh, version of being Bruce Wayne is to be a guy who really doesn't care about the business of being Bruce Wayne. Like, he's bad at being Bruce Wayne. Yes. You know? Like, he, he is an undeserving billionaire. Like, you feel the undeservingness, I think, of it. Um, with him but you also feel like but being rich is kind of cool I think there's more of like a look at what he can do with his money element to him where it's not well, quite it's all criticizing real. being a billionaire it's just like yeah it's what it's like you're a jerk well, and you're really rich and we start to feel like I think this is the movie where you understand like oh how you could make that how that actually happened how he learned we see how he learned we saw you know this is a movie that is an origin story uh, he redefines the origin story it stays the same ultimately but we get to see that middle ground which we've never really seen before what happened from when his parents were killed to when he first comes back when he first puts on that suit like we get to go on that journey with him and I think uh, in a way. It's laying a lot of track, Um, but we actually know who he is because in the second of the Nolan films, that's where I actually feel like I'm appreciating the Bruce Wayne, the Batman. I feel like Christian Bale is more, is just better in the second one. I don't know if that the movie is better and that makes him better or... Like, I feel like there are more sides shown to him. Like, he's a little bit more at ease at who he is. And maybe that's a, a directorial choice. I could see that. It's sort of like being on a basketball team and you have a few more guys who can shoot and you can loosen up a little bit, play a little better. Like, you don't have the whole weight of the team 
on your shoulders. Sorry, I was at the game where like the whole uh, crypt was booing LeBron because he missed a pass. Amy, uh, I Lakers felt, getting booed I at felt Lakers. for you dark. last night watching that game as I just watched uh, the Clippers, uh, you know, have this really hard fought one win with no nobody there. And, and people, LeBron yelling at people in the stands and fighting with them. <laughs> and I'm like, what is going on here? I know. Uh, I mean, not to make this a Lakers show, but if I can for a second, like the last time we went to the crypt was when it was Staples and we like won. It was that playoffs against the Suns. It was the last time everything felt good. Mm-hmm. And then we lost the rest of that playoff series. And we've just been losing ever since. And like, I remember leaving Staples and everybody was cheering and we hadn't gone back because we were worried about the spell, breaking that spell and also worried about Omicron. And we were like, well, we'll go see them play the Pelicans because they'll probably win. You know, maybe we can get a little bit of that magic back, but instead yeah. we got the opposite. We got like the darkest moment I've ever seen as a Lakers fan, which is like an entire arena booing oh, the Lakers. By the way, the Pelicans are a trap team. I mean, they really are for the Clippers too. But uh, again, sorry, we could go on, <laughs> and on about, about this. But I guess what I'm saying is I was picturing LeBron as I was talking about what is it like to carry the weight of expectations on you? Mm-hmm. And I do feel like you see that in the Bale Batman. There's a heaviness to him. It's weird. You spend more time with him as Bruce Wayne because of Batman Begins, but I still feel like I don't really get his Bruce Wayne, even though you're going to like the moment of his conception, you know, seeing the bats fly out, being traumatized by the image of a bat. It's still pretty silly. Like, I think no matter how serious you get, it's still a goofy premise that you see a Mm -hmm. bunch of bats and you dress up like a bat. And I don't know if you can ever like thread that needle by taking it dark and seriously? Well, I think, but I think that that, you're right. I think that the first movie is breaking the mold that the next two do, right? The next two are, I think, a lot more grounded, even though you have Two-Face and the Joker, but it's, the stakes in the story are so much more realized. They're so much more personally at stake. The first movie is about this kind of weird mystic who's trying to take, like, you know, it just, again, if you're asking me to put any of those on, that'll probably be my second choice. My first choice would be uh, The Dark Knight. Um, But The Dark Knight, to me, it's like the villain is compelling, right? In the sense that it's just energy, but you also see that, you know, Two-Face you get why Two-Face became Two-Face. Um, you, there's so much there. There's so much at stake and it forces the personality to come out because he's emotionally invested in these characters. Like he's grounded. Where in the first movie, he's coming into a city where he has nothing really connect to connect to and he's an island. And now it's like, well, what am I doing? How do I get out of it? It's like a bad idea has consequences. And Batman is a bad idea. Like, it's a great thing for the city, but it's a bad idea. It's going to catch up with you. And I feel like that energy is really interesting. I think that that That's that weight. true. You're right. I would say this franchise is the one that best says maybe being a bat isn't how you should handle your trauma. Right. Right? Like, the other yeah. ones are like, eh, it happens. If you can get better, get better. But if you can't, it's okay. This one is like, it really, really probably shouldn't have done this in the first place. But here's how we'll go. I mean, what's interesting about the trilogy is I think like... I'm going to project here. Maybe somebody's going to yell when I say this. I don't think people see these movies for Christian Bale. Like nobody likes these movies because of Bale's performance. Yes, first he's and not talked about. Yes. Yeah. They like it because of Nolan's direction and they like it because of really just how great Heath Ledger is. And I love, I really like the ideas in in The Dark Knight. You know, I like how much that movie questions heroism. And I like that I think this movie, I think that movie deliberately allows Harvey Dent to be the biggest hero. 
in that film. Yes. You know, to, well, and I think like Batman himself even kind of sees that. And I think it's generous in that way. Um, but it means I don't love this Batman as a character. Well, but it's interesting, too, because I think what this movie asks on some level is, when do you grow up? Because Batman is a little bit of arrested development. It's a rich kid who I'm just going to paint a very broad, like, and this is not every interpretation of it, but let's just cut it down to basics. Rich kid who decides to take matters into his own hands. And this asks the question, well, how long can you maintain that? Like, it's it's like drinking or partying. It's like, it. the question is like, how much can I hold on to this anger until I am just anger? Am I just a person? Do I even feel this way anymore? Am I just doing this because I do it? There's something, we talk about that with Christopher Nolan a lot. Like, these movies are a reflection of him. Like, what am I doing? Am I doing this because I'm inspired by this? Or am I doing this because I am, I feel obligated to do it? So I think he's, I think that Nolan's wrestling with this thing too. Like, what, what am I doing? You know, why am I doing this? And what cause like, does this have? I agree. And I think what's interesting about that is, yeah, in a way you could argue that like the car crashing, drunken Bruce Wayne is maybe the most realistic Bruce Wayne in that way as like a self-destructive person. Yeah. But then when his Batman plays Bruce Wayne to to kind of try to redraw that distinction, when he's struggling with it, when Alfred has to say, you need to really be a Bruce Wayne in public because people are going to know that it's you. You know, he goes to like say that, that remember when he goes to the restaurant and he like has the two girls and he has the two girls yes. get in like the pool. Then the guy comes up and he's sort of huffy, you know, this scene. Well, the guy dresses up like a bat clearly has issues. <laughs> But he's put Falcone behind bars. And now the cops want to bring him in. So what does that tell you? They're jealous. Sir, the pool is for decoration and your friends do not have swimming. Well, there, European. <laughs> I'm going to have to ask you to leave. It is not a question of money. You see, I'm buying this hotel and uh, setting some new rules about the pool area. I don't feel like that's very convincing. I don't feel like his Batman is very good at pretending to be Bruce Wayne, pretending to be the person that he is, but is the person that he's sort of not. Because like, I don't buy that behavior from like a rich guy to just be like, I'll write a check, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to have people get in the pool. I kind of also don't buy that like a person who works at the hotel would talk to like a billionaire that way. But it just doesn't feel credible to me in the way that like him crashing a car actually does. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think what we kind of find about this Batman is if he continues along this path, all he does is inspire people to top him, right? Like, this is a movie all about consequences. I think, look, I could draw a big comparison, say, Christopher, no, this is Christopher Nolan's thesis on making superhero films. Like if I make a good one, all right, uh, now I have to make another one. Why am I doing this? Do I want to be doing this? Is this going to wreck my career? And then it's a, sort of like, oh, now that I've done it, I've created copycats that aren't even as good as my thing. And now everyone's looking to me to do more. It's like it's it's he's losing what you know what he's doing he's he's crossed over he's equally bad like i think that's what the joker kind of brings over to him in the second film and i think you watch this wrestling of this guy is like i gotta get out i gotta get out and, and in a weird way even though he's the hero at the end of this movie and it's such a complicated movie i don't want to even break down all the thing i just want to talk about the character but 
he leaves a coward a little bit. He runs away. He does. Yeah. I mean, I guess like if you like this Batman, you're sort of saying like, I like my Batman to not be heroic. Like, I don't believe yeah. in heroes in a way at this point. It can't be people, sustained. Yeah. And which people didn't, I guess. I mean, because these movies really did hit the zeitgeist. Like, to Bale's credit, like, The Dark Knight is the highest grossing Batman movie by almost $100 million here at States. Like, yeah. it is huge. And the second highest one is The Dark Knight Rises. Like, he really clued into something. But I think part of, in our memory... What we think we like about Bale, I'll say, I think we sort of layer his American psycho onto his Bruce. Yes. You know, because we know he can play that character, but he just doesn't really do it here. Like if he had made his Bruce more American psycho, I think that would have been super fun. I think that actually makes a lot of sense. You know, well, the guy who can also go in- out and like spend a lot of money and be a jerk in that kind of petty way. Yes, you're right. Like he's missing that charm that that he had in American Psycho. and And, and that charm is crazy but it's something you're it, it's too dark uh yeah. now again but i think you're right the movie is bigger than the performance and that's the first time that that's really kind of happening we're not like oh that's a great christian dale performance it's a sort of like he's so that and then he's not that anymore like you know yeah. it's like you know it's like i don't know what connects the fighter in this not to say that they have to but it's like i do feel like our superheroes are connected by the same thing that makes are huge movie stars, stars. It's like, I'm seeing a Tom Cruise movie. He's a great actor, but I'm seeing a Tom Cruise movie. I'm seeing a uh, a Denzel. I heard his name was pronounced Denzel, and I now will never say Denzel. Oh. When when he was on Graham Norton, he said, my name is Denzel. Oh, okay. Uh, Denzel, like Denzel. Yes. Uh, But, you know, like, these are the actors that we see... I don't know. These that's are the actors true. that we, you You're know, right. like, yeah, no, he, we don't yeah. know who he is. Like he is a no, there's no there there. And that's yeah. not a bad thing. I he's actually a think in a weird actor, way. He's got a big footprint, but he's not a star individually in that way where you're like, I know him. Maybe the most realistic Batman in the real world. I could see that. And I guess, I mean, by him being, I think, so recessive as a hero, it allows me to have, I think, my favorite moment in a Batman movie, which is in The Dark Knight when they're doing that kind of like standoff between the boats. Yeah. And, you know. You have the the inmate in like still in like his prison gear. He's the one who finally takes the control to throw up the, to blow up the other boat and throws it overboard. To me, that is like the biggest moment of heroism in the trilogy yeah. of the Nolan films. And I like that it comes from a person, from a civilian. Like that, I found that moment really hopeful. I still find that moment really meaningful. It's a beautiful. I mean, that's. I it's think beautiful. when people think back it, at that moment, that's what they think about. And I think you know, look, I will say that. What Joel Schumacher fell into with George Clooney, I think that Christopher Nolan kind of gets mixed up in in this film, in, in the last film. Because I think what was so wonderful about that second Batman in the Nolan trilogy is that it is so, while there are a lot of characters, it is a beginning, middle, and end. There's an arc, we're connected, and then... Once we get into this one, I mean, there's so many different things at play, and I just feel like not connected. It was like... I, I don't know. I, I feel like every superhero movie starts to throw more shit at, you know, it's like, okay, every movie, it's like, it's like you're timesing it by two and you miss out. Like, yes, I got Bane, Bane's scary. Then Marion Cotier, she's scary. We got Anne Hathaway as the cat woman. It's like just a lot, a, a lot of stuff that I can't really wrap my head around. And, you know, and we have all these new characters that I just don't feel at the end of the day connected to to any of the story of it. I don't feel connected to like what we're trying to do. It just feels like we're trying to blow it all up. 
And then, of course, there is the bat voice. You know, like Bale's bat voice has been ridiculed a lot. I have ridiculed it. It's so nonsensical and deep and gravelly. And I've always kind of blamed him for that. But then as we were prepping this episode, I found a clip of him back in his early days of Batman when he's doing the voice of the video game character. This is 2005, the Batman Begins video game. And he's being directed to do the bat voice just for that character on screen. When you hear him getting directed, he's getting directed to make it that extra crazy. So it's not totally his fault. And I felt a little bad listening to this. The ability to beat up the guys is affected by how scared the guys are of him before he enters the scene. Oh, okay, so all about intimidation. You know what I want. The more he's intimidated, the less Batman has to do. Uh, I like that, yeah. If you know Christian Bale's work, I and mean, what's so great about him is he's just a spectacular actor. By the same token, he's got a big presence. So, tell me about the rabbits. Can you be more threatening? Tell me about the rabbits. You know... I like the choice because you're talking about a popular person, like a somebody that we would know, someone that you've heard before, right? So you got to disguise the voice. And and instead of putting a voice box on or doing anything like that, I think it was a cool choice. I do think it was a cool choice. I think that Ben Affleck did the same thing. You know, we want it both ways, right? We want him to be real but we don't want it to be performative but we want it to be spectacular but we also want it to be ground like it's a tricky you can't really do it i mean like that was so nerve-wracking for keaton like when he has that very first thing he says as batman which is of course i'm batman he was like i have to get this voice right because otherwise this guy this like bad guy i'm beating up is just gonna laugh at me and be like you're totally bruce wayne yes which have you ever do you remember that clip from the Batman TV show where they like go around this whole roundabout way to have Batman on the phone with with Bruce Wayne, where it's like Bruce Wayne's at home. He gets a call from the commissioner. The commissioner's like, oh, no, you got to talk to Batman on the phone. And so like he's got gets called on the other line and he has to hold two phones to his ear and have a conversation with himself and try to like do the distinct voices. Of, I just got to play this. It's hilarious. Yes, Mr. Wayne. Have you heard Mr. Freeze's scurrilous demands? Just briefly. If Robin and I act as go-betweens, are you prepared to make the telecast at midnight and pay the ransom, Mr. Wayne? I have no choice, Batman. Then may I suggest you tape the broadcast from the commissioner's office an hour earlier, and we will have a dummy package of money. A dummy package of money? That sounds risky. Risk is our business, Mr. Wayne. Of course, Batman, I have the same faith in you that all of Gotham City has. I hope Robin and I are deserving of that faith. I'll make the necessary arrangements and meet you at the commissioner's office at 11. Fine. Did you get all that? I so forgot about that. That is brilliant. <laughs> I mean, that's what I think is so fun about that movie, too, or that show is like the play, it was playful. Yeah. Right? It was just playful. And I think, you know, we we're talking about this idea of like, well, what is the Batman that we want to see? And I think what happens in this way, we go so dark that we generate a very playful Batman that kind of encapsulates everything we just talked about, which is Will Arnett's Lego Batman. I mean, that Lego Batman is perfection, right? Like that is in many ways, the voice, the tone, the attitude, like we, that's the breath of fresh air. And I know we don't have to spend that much time on this one, but I mean, I do think it's worth just saying like that. He does capture a little bit of everybody. No, totally. I love this Batman because like this is a Batman where, you know, 
not only is not only does like Will Arnett have like the best Batman voice, I think out of everybody, like that just is his voice to sound like deep yes. and cocky. He like he it was born talking like Batman. He plays Batman like the joke is just on Batman. You know, like Adam West played played, played Batman where he was like the one straight guy and like you could kind of laugh at the campiness, but like he never cracked. And like Will Arnett, I think, just takes that to the extreme where the joke is like not just on the comic world that Batman lives in, but like specifically on Batman himself and his like gigantic ego and what a giant dick he can be. I mean, like he gets introduced in like the Lego movie being like a complete cad who like ditches the heroes to go hang out with the Star Wars guys. Babe, look, if this relationship is ever going to work between us, I need to feel free to party with a bunch of strangers whenever I feel like it. What? Babe! I will text you. Where'd you get that sweet space cape, brother? Yeah, what I kind of dig about that clip is like his Batman is just the Bruce Wayne partier. Like he kind of synergizes in that direction. Yes. Like he's the hero, but like the Bruce Wayne is so evident in him because he just wants to like rage and listen to like LMFAO or like whatever. No, you like listen to like death metal. Like it's yeah. like, like, I think that he <laughs> like that Batman. And I think you have to like look to Lord Miller for creating that tone because it becomes so successful that they branch off and make their own Batman movie because it's like, oh, yeah, that's what we that's what we're missing. It's kind of a mix and match. It's like not taking itself too seriously, but we're in this other world. It's it just it's a breath of fresh air. Um, yeah, to get to laugh at this character again yes. for the first time in like a, over a decade at that point. And that's, yeah. you know, and look, and, the, and that's a fully fresh take where it's not so campy. Yeah. I mean, that he gets his own like Lego movie and he gets to do like his bat song. It's like the bat two scene, oh, but now yeah. the joke is just like, what a ridiculous egomaniac this guy is. Kiss me, Batman. And by the way, I will say that because I listen to it all the time in my car when I'm driving my kids around, he sings in the first Batman movie, too. He goes, darkness, darkness. Like, it's it's there. He's got two. Um, But now we get to see a Batman that I feel like everybody has been wanting to see, this Frank Miller Batman. Like, this, this version of Batman... Uh, that, you know, uh, was the centerpiece of a classic comic book series where it's an older Batman bringing, being brought back in, you know, uh, he's beaten down. We've missed the introduction. It's, but it's, it's, it's this other version and it's being brought to life by Ben Affleck, who I think Ben Affleck comes in here always wanting to play Batman. He's played Daredevil, not to much success. He gets a chance to do this like iconic version of Batman. And and it's interesting because this is a this is a I think a polarizing role that in a way people I think have come around to really liking. It's tough, right? I mean, like this is the Batman that I might least want to meet because he definitely seems like the most violent out of all mm-hmm. the Batman. He's the scariest. I mean, Ben Affleck is the biggest Batman. You know, he's like six foot three. He's taller than everybody else. And he like has kind of, I think, a more imposing physique in the suit. And the way that he carries his Batman, he kind of feels like he's a Batman who's seen all the other Batman movies. 
in a way, like he's seen all of his other past trauma. Mm-hmm. Like he's like aware of all the horrible things that have happened to like his past self, like Uncle Batman who knows all of his past lives. Like his psyche is so bruised, like from the beginning. Like he just seems exhausted. You know, he's like at, at right. the end of his bat rope, his grappling hook is sliding off. Like this guy isn't, he's in a really bad state. Well, I mean, I remember looking at this comic for the first time, you know, the Frank Miller one, which, you know, the Dark Knight uh, Returns, uh, which, it, like you said, it's bloody, it's brutal. Like you see, you know, the bat suit ripped. Because this is like actually the very much the, in the Frank Miller version. It's the, um, you know... They go. It, it fluctuates. There's like the very blue and gray costume. Then it goes to the gray and black costume. But there's blood and there's he is a bruiser. He's like almost wearing brass knuckles at points. Like he is a like uh, like you know he has the energy of like a bane. Like he's thick and fucking angry. Like and there's and, and you know again like you said I don't want to meet him, but I do think Ben Affleck does right by. Everything that we know about the Zack Snyder. Yes. Yes. But I don't know if that's what we want. I don't know if that's what we want. He lives up to that role. But is it the role we want to see? You know, and there there is a shift. Like, I feel like the Bale Batman is all about how does Batman feel about himself? And the Ben Affleck Batman, I think Zack Snyder puts the lens more on us. Like, how do we feel about this Batman who's like machine gunning people? You know, like a Batman who's like really suspicious and like broken. I mean, this feels like a Batman who's lived through the war on terror. You know, he just. Yes. He and I I think Ben Affleck can actually play that really well. Like, I think he does it really well. But this is also a bat. I think at the end of the day, I like a frothy Batman. I'm a little bit frothier than this. Well, this Batman is uh, also a Batman who. I think we talked about the actor informing the role. And I think we're looking at this going, here's Ben Affleck, somebody who's wrestled with alcoholism, someone who has been the playboy uh, hotshot, who is now older, hopefully wiser, battle-tested, right? So there is something about this choice that is reflective of a career, like as much as it is a choice to play Batman. Like, I think that, like, I think he brings that baggage with him for better or for worse. I actually, I, I, I liked the uh, Justice League cut that Zack Snyder did. Uh, you can hear me talk about that at length on how did this get made. But uh, I think he does a great job. I actually do think he has, I don't think, I don't think he's bad. I think he's just, look, uh, this comic book has been around since you know, uh, with the 40s, you know, uh, like there's been many incarnations. We can have many incarnations of this. It doesn't have to live in the same world. I like that idea. I like that that's what DCU does. I think that you can have like an Aquaman that's super goofy next to a Batman that's like, you know, having brass knuckles beating the shit out of somebody. Like, I I think that that's okay. You know, I think that we have to be open to those interpretations because each one of these stories, you can't put the Michael Keaton Batman, although I think they're probably trying to do a little bit of the Frank Miller stuff with Michael Keaton now. I don't think that we could tell the one story. We can kind of, we can kind of, each Batman can tell a different type of Batman story. Justice League, I think, has the great Batman quip, you know, when the Flash is like, well, what is your superpower? What are your superpowers again? I'm rich. But in the end, all these Batmen are really just telling the American story of how we feel about heroes. Well, yes, there is something in all of us 
that wants to be better or a defender, stick up for the little person, the person without special powers. Like, I can never be Superman. I just can't. It's impossible. I can never be a character. Most superheroes I can't be. I can be Batman. Like, in the grand scheme of life, I could put on a suit and go out and fight. Not to say I'll be successful. I mean, pretty successful. But uh, but I could go out there and do it. And I think that that's the thing that connects us. And we get so excited to see how are we going to show me, you know, if we're putting ourselves in that suit, like, does that make sense? Can I be that? Can I, I think we are looking for ourselves in this character. Like it, it does represent our anger. It, you know, we talked about this before you said like every actor goes through the, the Batman world because it's like our new Hamlet. But I do think it is about America and our anger and our want to do something and our want to do it with our hands, right? Like it, it feels like we actually did something, you know, it's like a slacktivism. It's the end. It's anti-slacktivism. Like I'm going to go out and make a, a difference. And I, so I do think that that's why this character endures because at the end of the day, yes, he's rich, but I don't think of, we think of him as rich. I think we think of him as one of us, you know, and, uh, well, I think all that Americans they, yeah. think we're a billionaire anyways. We're just going to be a billionaire well, next year. Don't put those taxes on it because when I'm a billionaire, it's well, going to be it. fine. I mean, I do wonder if Batman has been a bad role model for our actual billionaires. You know, like somebody yeah. once asked Elon Musk to his face, like, do you think of yourself as Batman? And he like immediately tried to derail the question because I think he kind of does think of himself as Batman. Well, you know, well, he, I like, think if you have like, all when this money, those yeah. Thai kids got like. Um, in the cave they were trapped in the cave and he was like I can build a submarine to save you guys and they're like we really don't need you to and when he felt offended that they didn't think his submarine worked he like went on the attack and like yelled at the actual heroes I mean that's that's some bat anger actually wait no when Elon Musk was um, designing his SpaceX suits you know for when he was actually going to send people up into space he hired Jose Fernandez, who was the costume designer for Batman versus Superman what? to do the SpaceX suits. Yeah. So he is deep down you, trying to be Batman. But we you want to see like, do you want to see like Bezos versus Elon Musk? You know, if Bezos is like our Lex oh, Luthor, you know? do I want to see them punch each other in the face? Yeah. I mean, Mark, be the sloppiest uh, well, fight. Mark Zuckerberg is definitely Lex Luthor because he was played by Lex Luthor. But do I want to mm. see all of these guys like brawl? Sure. I mean, Elon Musk finally gave the answer that he considers himself Irony Man, which whatever, that would imply as a sense of humor. Irony Man. Um, I just d defeat villains using the power of irony. Okay. It's like, oh, too much irony. I can't stand it. Please, no, stop the irony. I can't handle it anymore. I give up. I give up. Too much irony. That would be, be, be awesome. <laughs> That'd be totally awesome. That would be awesome. Yeah, it would be. Don't make me use irony again. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. You know who I think thinks he's Batman is probably like Peter Thiel, that horrible nightmare of a person. Because oh, he's yes. like definitely a vigilante. Well, like, we've he, seen, he, but we've ugh. seen like some vigilantes. I remember in Seattle, there was a guy who went around the streets and then no one knew who he was and he was fighting crime. Uh, it's dangerous. It's not a smart thing to do. Um, and, you know, regardless of the amount of money, but I think it's a fantasy that we all have. I will say, out of all of these Batman that we've talked about, I am very much looking forward to Robert Pattinson. I have not seen the Robert Pattinson movie, um, but the one thing that I know about it that I think is really interesting, I love Matt Reeves. I think Matt Reeves, who uh, did the Planet of the Apes films, he is tackling Batman now. Um, what I think he did really interesting was he drilled down to a specific that no one has done. You see, I think people have been 
so content on what version of Batman am I telling? Am I telling the old version, the jaded version, the new version? And his version of Batman is the detective. Which we haven't really seen in it. We've never seen that. Like, to me, there's longevity in the detective. Like, Mm -hmm. it's... And I think that that's kind of what the Adam West thing was. Like, I put together clues. Like, he would put... I mean, Adam West did solve crimes. It was a weekly, you know, story of a villain, and he would... Oh, the Riddler. He, You know, he would solve riddles. He would do things. That idea is so key. Like, Batman isn't just a brute who punches people and frightens people. He is also someone who's trying to figure out the bigger picture. I think it often is put to the side in these movies. You see him in front of a computer, he goes, oh yes, that's mm-hmm. the thing. Or, you know, he is he is doing it, but I think the idea of making Batman more of a detective story is way more interesting as a character because it gives us the idea of somebody who is bringing more to the table than just money, vehicles, and the ability to fight, right? It's like, oh, no, I have a brain, too. And I think anyone who has the brain to build a Batcave and a Batmobile and have a utility belt and all that sort of shit also should be able to figure out, like, what this riddle means, what the plan is, see ahead of the, you know, ahead of the, the picture. And I think that, you know, they, they people wrestle with it. But I I believe that this Batman, not seeing it yet, is going to once again redefine how we look at this. I mean, I'm curious because I think you can synergize that really well. Like some of the best noir stories are about detectives and Batman, I think, makes a great noir. And I having not seen it and having not even watched the trailer because I hate doing any of that stuff. It does look dark and noir-y. I can I can see this working. I'm really just rooting for Robert Pattinson. Honestly, I want him to do a good job and I don't want him to get the Clooney treatment. Um, I don't think he will. I think that Matt Reeves has done enough really good work to prove that his take will be original, thought out, and interesting. You know, James Bond is always going to be James Bond uh, on some level. Batman really is open to the interpretation of the director. And I don't think that the DC, the Snyderverse version is wrong. I don't, I'm glad that Michael Keaton's coming back and it's going to be different than that. Like, let's tell different stories. Let's just tell different stories. The character can be that multifaceted. They can. Or we could make new characters, but that's another podcast. I mean, there you go. Yeah, there you go. All right. Uh, Well, Amy, this is great to talk about Batman. um, And I would love to get into these a little bit more at a certain point. You know, maybe we'll do uh, another series where we can kind of dive into the Tim Burton. Maybe we do both, like uh, as, you know, a two for one Tim Burton one. And and, uh, and we will finally talk about The Dark Knight at one point as well, because I think that that, you can make an argument for that being... One of the best Nolans. Yeah. I mean, I'd kind of like to do a superhero super series and talk about and talk about Superman. Yeah, I love that. Uh, well, I'm glad that you all saw it. We'll have a check in once we both see Batman, uh, just to kind of just see if it worked. But so far, it's not out yet. Uh, as we are recording this, but the reviews are pretty through the roof, uh, which makes me excited. Yeah, pretty much people are like, "This might be the best Batman ever made." Oh man, I'm skipping the. I skipped the press screening because, you know. Because of COVID, they're not allowing a plus one. And I feel like I will wait until my boyfriend can go and we will eat popcorn. Sometimes I make this sacrifice for him and this is a movie I'm doing it on. <laughs> I love right. you, darling. I think that that <laughs> is a, uh, a, wonderful, uh, a wonderful thing to do. All right, we will uh, see you later on in the week uh, as we continue our Contender series. Uh, so we'll see you back then. See you in a couple days.
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.